This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, thank you for being with us. Easter 2023, we're so thankful to be able to share this morning with you. Uh, thank you if you uh, feel a little uncomfortable for just dealing with the fact that we are very crowded currently. What a wonderful promise uh, problem to have in a room like this. We are in the, the kind of process of looking at building, and so all of this is just confirmation of the need to do that. So thank you for being with us today. We're going to go almost immediately into the text today, Matthew 28. But before we do that, let me give you a little backstory. Matthew 27, the Gospel of Matthew records the death of Jesus Christ. He died on a cross, suffering under the burden of our sin. Matthew records that at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus died, gave up his uh, breath, gave up his life. And as he did that, he was then received by his followers, taken down off the cross and placed in a borrowed tomb, borrowed from a man named Joseph of Arimathea. The Gospel of Matthew then goes into great detail that because Jesus had declared publicly that he was going to raise from the dead, the Pharisees and religious leaders that were behind his execution essentially sealed the tomb, put guards outside of the tomb. And so we pick up with this moment. Would we stand with us as we read through the Word of God in Matthew 28? We stand in honor of the Word of God, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. I'm going to read the rest of it, but I need to stop here because I want to explain this moment. Friday, because of the hurry, before sundown, trying to get him into the tomb, his body was prepared, but not prepared for full burial. They wouldn't have touched him on Saturday. That was Sabbath. And so Mary and Mary are showing up early on Sunday morning to prepare the body long-term for its burial. Now, you might be asking, who is Mary? Who are these women? That's answered out of Luke 8. Jesus traveled about from one town to another village and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The 12 were with him. These are the disciples, right? Very pivotal in this moment. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping support the disciples and Jesus, them, out of their own means. That's who Mary Magdalene is. That's who Mary is. These are women who have followed with great intent, great love, great support for Jesus. And they're there that morning to prepare the body. Beginning in verse 2, and I'll just read from here on out. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, 
Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father, today as we reflect on the implications of the resurrection, help us to see that this is not simply some historical fable, that the resurrection is truth that informs our life today. We invite you in this space to convict us, challenge us, change us, and allow us to move and shift in the direction that you desire us to. Provoke us, God. Prod us. Propel us to your next step in this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. You may be seated. Over the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to reflect on this simple question. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If you pay attention to the narrative of the resurrection out of the Gospel of Matthew, fear dominates the story of the resurrection in Matthew's Gospel. The guards are scared of the angel. The women are scared. I want you to, today, deal with this question for yourself. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? For many of us, fear is so prevalent, so real, that there are spaces in our lives that are consumed with fear. We may even call fear a phobia. There are a lot of things that people are afraid of. I was looking at that this week as we were getting ready for this message. Look at this graphic with me. What are people afraid of? The highest one ranking in this survey is public speaking. Public speaking. People scared to get up here and do what I'm doing. Can I just say this? I used to be scared of public speaking. When I was in high school, I never thought in the whole wide world I'd do this. Look at this list. This is amazing. 
heights. Some of y'all go zip line. I ain't never going zip line again. Somebody talked me into doing it one time. I ain't getting up there. All right. Snakes. All right, here's, here's the thing. I know some of y'all are deathly afraid of snakes. So we decided to have a little fun with you. We have a video of snakes that we're going to show you. How many of y'all are like, please don't show that video? Some of y'all. All right, yeah, look at those hands, people being honest this morning. All right, blood needles. You're not going to get blood out of my wife. We have to drug that woman before we get any blood on her. I'm just, she is so deathly afraid of needles. It's flying, claustrophobic. I didn't know I was claustrophobic until a few years ago. They put me in an MRI tube. That is not a fun experience if you've ever done that before. And then I found out I was. I didn't know it until that moment. Now flying the next one, I get a little claustrophobic when I get on. It's like a giant tin can just hurling through the air. It's a little scary. I love that on this survey, zombies appears and clowns. <laughs> Does anybody just want to admit you're scared of clowns? Anybody? Some of y'all. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? It's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. I want you to see this today as we get started. Number one, fear is a primary emotion. Many of us have a hard time understanding our emotions. So today I want to give you a framework that helps you at least start to process and understand your emotions. There are what they're called primary emotions and then secondary emotions. The primary emotions exist in tension. Okay? So they only work in tension on the opposite sides of each other. Here are, the, here are the primary emotions. Joy and sadness, anger and fear, trust and distrust, surprise and anticipation. All right? These are the primary emotions. There's a Russian researcher, Plutnik, who came up with this concept. And what they said is that you take the primary emotions and every other emotion is a secondary response to a primary emotion. This is why asking the question, what am I afraid of, is so important. And I want you to see this in this moment. Look at this. Anxiety, nervousness, tenseness, apprehension, worry, distress, dread, and even depression are secondary emotions connected to fear. Fear is the origin, and the secondary expression is anxiety, and dread, and worry, and depression. This is why, can I just say this next Sunday, we kick off a series called Life Hacks, all right? It's going to be remarkable. I don't want you to miss it. Every week, we're going to take an aspect of our life, and we're going to take it to the Word of God, and what you're going to see is that the Word of God hacks our life, okay? There are a lot of bad life hacks out there. The, the Word of God is filled with really simple, practical advice that changes the way we view certain things in our lives. It's remarkable. Next week, we're going to talk about the soul, emotions. And you don't want to miss it because so many of us have a, a very limited amount of emotional awareness, emotional intelligence. And next week, we're going to go through simple, practical advice that the Word of God gives us in how to navigate having a healthy soul. Why is that important? Because number two, look at this. It's impossible to be spiritually strong when you're emotionally unhealthy. It's impossible to be spiritually strong when you're emotionally unhealthy. Why is that? It's, it's real simple. It's because of what emotions are. Emotions are the language our soul uses. All right? 
That's what it is. It is, emotion is the language of our soul. This is how what's going on on the inside is communicating. It's happening through emotion. This is why if there's an, an emotional issue, if we're emotionally unhealthy, it's really a soul issue. It's a spiritual issue. And can I just be really upfront about this today? The problem we're facing culturally is that instead of processing and healing from our emotional issues, we're numbing and masking them. We're not dealing with them. We're denying them. This is why addiction is such a prevalent disorder within our culture. Why? Because people want to escape their reality. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to heal from it. This is why, culturally, we are the most medicated generation in history. This is why there are such prolific amounts of porn being created. Why? Because it numbs and distracts you from what you really feel. This is why so many people are giving up everything that really matters to them to pursue some form of success. Why? Because success numbs and masks what's real. Even social media likes and follows numbs and masks what we're really dealing with emotionally. We have got to be very pointed, very honest in asking the question, what am I afraid of? What am I really afraid of? This has simple implications. Because number three, fear exists in tension with faith. Fear is not some arbitrary emotion that we feel. Fear exists in tension with faith. And I need you to hear what I'm about to say. If you're going to live authentically the way God designed you, the primary motivating factor in your life has to be faith, not fear. God designed life to be lived through faith because where fear says God can't faith says God can where fear says God you can't heal my marriage there's too much there, there's too much pain there's too much brokenness faith says God I don't know how you're going to do it I don't even see the way forward but I know that in your hands all things are possible some of you are struggling in your career and fear says I'm never going to figure this out. I'm never going to be the right person. I'm never going to get that promotion. And faith says, listen, God, I know you have a purpose for this season. I trust you with it. I give it to you. Fear says, my my kids are never going to be right. They're never going to get their lives right. Faith says, I can trust God with my kids. They're his kids. This is why you have to be honest about what scares you. There are areas of our lives where we've allowed fear to thrive. We've bought into the narrative of fear. And wherever fear is thriving in your life, God's love and power are not. 
wherever you've allowed fear to become the primary force in the narrative that you're creating, you have stepped outside of the love and power of God. How do we know that? 1 John 4 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. God's perfect love, when it comes into not just our lives or our hearts, that's a very simplistic way of understanding it. When God's love comes into our marriage, it drives out fear. When God's love comes into our finances, it drives out fear. When God's love comes into our career, it drives out fear. When God's love comes into our business, it drives out fear. When God's love comes into my parenting, it drives out fear. There is no fear in love. And some of us are here today having bought into lies that I'm not good enough. I'll never be what they want. I'll never make them happy. It's always going to be like this. God's never going to deliver on that promise. And I want you to hear this. Number four, fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Fear will talk you out of the good things that God wants to do in your life. It'll get you out of position to receive the blessings of God. It'll get you believing the wrong things about people and the wrong things about your own life. I can prove that. Clinically, what are secondary emotions that come out of fear? Worry, stress, and anxiety. It's fear-oriented. These are expressions of them. I'm stressed about it. I'm anxious about it. I'm worried about it. It's a study that came out about two years ago that's been quoted by most media outlets that showed that 85% of what you worry about never happens. We know this practically, right? I know that I've spent so much time stressing and worrying and getting all upset about something, getting offended, and it never happens. But they went in and, and researched and found out just getting with people, asking, going through a period of time, 85% was the number that they came up with. What does that mean? That means that out of 100%, there was only 15% of it that was true. The rest of it was lies. Fear is a liar. Fear is a powerful motivator. It will provoke us to worry, stress, and anxiety. And some of you are going, yeah, but, but what about, let me just take a moment and address this. What about the fear of the Lord? Can I just talk about that? I believe God created us to be motivated by one fear. That's the fear of the Lord. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And we go, well, what does that mean? Well, what's wonderful is Proverbs goes on later to explain what the fear of the Lord is. It says the fear of the Lord is humility. Here's what I mean by that. The fear of the Lord is approaching God by saying, you're God and I'm not. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not understand you, but I will follow you. I will live under your direction, under your conviction, under your guidance, even when I don't understand it. That kind of reverential respect in all, the fear of the Lord, is what we were designed to live in. 
But what God created as good, our enemy counterfeits and corrupts. And we are all consumed with fear. And I want you to see this today. This is why the resurrection of Jesus matters to you today. This is why this is not some arbitrary story from history. It matters to you today. I'm going to go back through the text again, beginning in verse 2 from Matthew 28. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it, which I love this, because it's almost like he's like, what's up, y'all? How you doing? And look what happened. The guards were afraid. Why were they so afraid? Because that's not supposed to happen. And when things that aren't supposed to happen, happen, our natural reaction is to get so afraid. So the angel said, the women are there. The angel said, do not be afraid. Why did he say don't be afraid? Because it was perfectly normal to be afraid. That's why. Don't be afraid. And I love this next phrase. I read through this text this morning, and I'm just going to say this because I think somebody in this room needs to hear it. He said, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. In life, we do a lot of looking. Looking for what we think the truth is. For what we think is joy and satisfaction. For the way. What's the way, God? How do I do this? None of that's going to lead you to the right place until you start looking for Jesus. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come here and see the place where he lay. Now, I love this because it's as if God is showing us through this interaction that he's patient. It's like, listen, I'm going to give you the evidence. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you some reasons to trust me. And then this is the verse that caught my attention this year. So the women hurried away from the tomb, look at this, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, I love it, because he just pops up and like, hey, what's up? How y'all doing? Just greetings. And they came and fell at his feet. Now you think about it. Mary Magdalene, seven demons cast, cast out of her. All of her life now turned upside down, her worth and value being spent to support the ministry of Jesus. Falls down at his feet, begins to worship. What's the, don't be afraid. Why does he say that? Because it's perfectly natural to feel fear in that moment. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And what they do? They did. So let me make some application as we continue to inspect the resurrection today. Here's the first thing I want you to see. You can choose which emotion you respond to. You can choose which emotion you respond to. This is why I think next week, this message as we start Life Hacks is going to be so helpful for so many of us because you can't choose which emotion if you don't know which emotion you have. You can't choose what to respond to if you don't know what's going on in here. Be here next week. I promise it's going to make a difference in your life. 
Look again at verse 8. The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Now, I want to make a point here. They are simultaneously feeling two emotions, fear and joy. And the question is, which emotion are they responding to? You can feel multiple emotions, but you get to choose which one you respond to. They feel fear. Uh, they executed Jesus. They might be coming after us. I don't know what's happening. Everything feels upside down. But they also felt joy. And they were responding to the joy. See, you can feel the fear. But don't respond to the fear. I love that in the Old Testament, there are so many... Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. And what's remarkable to me is in the original text, in the Hebrew, what's really being translated into do not fear is do not fear the fear. It's the connotation of the original text, which means you're going to feel the fear. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel the fear on the inside, but don't respond to the fear don't let the fear that you feel become the primary motivating factor in your life. Why is that so important? Because whatever you're responding to is what you're worshiping. That's what worship is. Worship is our response to things. And so if fear is a lie... And we know that 85% of what you worry about does not come to happen. It never happens. It's a lie. Where does all of that lie come from? Jesus answers this in John 8. For the devil is a liar and the father of lies. It goes on to say that when the devil speaks, his native language is lies. So let me make an, a point before we move on. There are a lot of people who profess to be Christians who come into spaces like this and there is more effort and energy in their lives put into responding to fear than responding to the voice of God and their faith in God. The critical issue here is what are you responding to? And you can choose. You can choose which emotion you respond to. We need to see this because, number two, if you're paying attention, we're most afraid when we have the least amount of control. This is why the guards are so afraid. The Bible says they become like death, like they absolutely look like they're dead. Why are they so overcome with fear? The reason they're so overcome with fear is that they feel so out of control. Here's the thing about control. Control is a lie. It's an illusion. I can prove that to you with one simple statement. You get behind a car and you feel safe. You get on a plane and you feel scared. Why? Statistically, you are more in danger in a car than you are in a plane, but you are out of control when you're on a plane. We buy into the illusion of control. And if you look at the data over the last five years of what has become the greatest fears of Americans, it's all spaces in our lives 
where we feel out of control. We're afraid of corrupt politicians. We're afraid that one of our loved ones is going to die unexpectedly. We're afraid that our kids are going to get hurt. And we're afraid of our own deaths at record levels. Why is this a big deal? Because death is certain. Every person in this room, outside of the intervention of the return of Jesus Christ, every person is going to die. And we cannot change it. It is out of our control. It's outside. I can't change that fact about life. The sad truth about life is that while we will all die, we won't all live. Because we can either live by fear or live by faith. And living by fear is no real way to live. Hebrews 11, 16 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Life was designed to be lived through faith. For many of us, fear has robbed us of real, authentic life. And I want you to see this about the resurrection, why the resurrection matters to you today. The resurrection is proof that we can trust God with everything that scares us. What is it for you? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your finances? Is it what's happening in our culture? You can trust God with it. You can even trust God with your own death. The things that are the most remarkably out of our control, we can surrender it to God and trust Him with it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God of our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead. Peter says he watched it all happen. Failed Jesus on the cross. Reinstated face to face with him afterwards. And he says, listen, the resurrection of Jesus produces two things in us. A new birth, a chance at a new life. When we surrender our life to Jesus, there's a new birth. There's something that happens on the inside that's like a birth. We are born again. And then we have a hope. That's a, a, it's alive, which means that even when something is dead, I can still have hope over it. And when you think of those claims, you have to ask the question like, why are we so afraid of everything? We're afraid of everything because we trust God with nothing. That's why. We're afraid of this and afraid of that and afraid of this and afraid of that because we trust God with absolutely nothing. I mean, I'll get real practical. If you're the person that's here and you're scared, I'm, my husband's going to leave me. He's going to reject me. He's going to say he doesn't love me anymore. He's going to walk away. No signs of that, just fear. Just fear. What is that? That's evidence that you're not trusting God with your marriage. My kids are going to walk away from God. They're not going to live right. They're going to make bad decisions. Kids are doing fine. What, what's happening? 
I'm not trusting God with my kids. This culture is just going, it's going to hell. I mean, everything about it is just so broken, so broken. The world, and I don't even know that, that we can even make it a few more. What, what's, are you trusting God? The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that God can overcome anything. Anything. What do you think you're going to bring to God that is more significant than the death of His Son? Nothing. The bodily resurrection. Jesus dead. Heart stopped. Flesh wounded. And on Sunday morning, alive. Heart beating. Lungs filled with air. Flesh restored. Listen, if you think you got something that God can't overcome, you're wrong. And you have to ask yourself this question. If the resurrection is true, what should I be afraid of? If it's true. Because this is what's informing our fear. See, when you respond to the fear, when you feel the fear, and the fear, fear becomes motivating in your life, they're going to leave me, and we start acting out of that. They're going to not make wise decisions, start acting out of that. All of those things, when we start living, what we're doing is rejecting the evidence of the resurrection. Because God has given you in the resurrection enough evidence to trust Him with whatever you're going through. And I, I love to make this point at Easter. The resurrection of Jesus is historically verifiable. This is not some fable that was written in ancient text that we somehow tell ourselves every year to make ourselves feel better. This is historically verifiable. Let me walk you through why I mean that. Most scholars, whether they believe in God or don't, will, will uh, allow the, the death of Jesus to happen in the mid-30s A.D. More than likely, 37, 38 A.D., okay? The death of Jesus. The first gospel account that is in our Bible is the gospel of Mark. It, it'll only take you 45 minutes to read. Half of it is devoted to the passion narrative, okay? the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Mark is written between 60 and 70 AD. So let's midpoint it at 65. That's 30 years between the event and one of the most widely circulated documents in the first century, which was the gospel of Mark. Literally, archaeologically found all over the Mediterranean rim. 30 years, 30 years ago for us was 1993. 1993. In 1993, Bill Clinton was inaugurated. You may not have liked his politics, but I'm talking about the historical event that he was inaugurated. In 1993, the very first attack on the World Trade Center happened. Where they ignited a bomb in the parking garage below it. In 1993, the FBI and the ATF raided the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas. Here's what wouldn't happen today. If you wanted to assert those things did not happen, 
we would be like, you're stupid. I watched it happen. I, wa- I, I literally watched the explosion. I watched the ray. I watched all. I've seen the video. Who are you to tell me it didn't happen? 30 years. 30 years from the resurrection of Jesus to the gospel of Mark. And here's what I want you to know. There were people alive that lived through the resurrection who were alive when the gospel of Mark starts being circulated and they could have stopped it, but they didn't. In the first century, the message of Jesus Christ goes from being a few hundred in an upper room, afraid for their lives, to tens of thousands in local churches planted all around the Mediterranean Rim. Just a few years. See, not only is the resurrection true, but the resurrection matters to you today. Please hear me. Jesus is alive. He's alive today. The King is alive. He's sitting on his throne and he has promised to return one day. And reflecting on that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is victory. The resurrection is victory over sin and death. And look at what he says next. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do you remember the last words of the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Matthew? We read them. Jesus comes to his followers in Galilee. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is he? He says, Go! Go! And you know what they did? They went. Why? Because they weren't afraid. They weren't scared. They weren't worried about what they were going to say about them and what was going to happen here and what would happen over. They weren't worried. They were not afraid. The resurrection became living proof for them that they didn't have to be afraid. See, if the resurrection is true, what do we have to be afraid of? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.